of the show. Yes, I know I needed to mop the kitchen floor and give it a good cleaning. I just didn't realize the kitchen gods wanted me to do it sooner than later. Nothing like dropping a one-gallon glass jar full of milk onto the hardwood floor. Crash, splash, milk went everywhere. I'd started the day like always, wake up, drink coffee, and prepare the equipment and head on out about 7 o'clock. I've got to go milk the goats. First stop on the way to the dairy barn is to let Fred and Ethel, the pilgrim geese, out of their overnight pen. They're in the corner of the pen, out of sight, but when I say, Good morning, goosey gooses! They pop up and come running to the door, ready to be released. Open the door and they take off into the garden. We have an umbrella, a couple chairs, and a small garden table in the garden. The umbrella is raised, Fred and Ethel like the shade, and I walk around the garden for a quick check, mainly to make sure there hasn't been any overnight damage. The geese can now pull all the grass they want. They're still chugging about, feet flapping, wings out, like they're trying to air out their wing pits. Sam the farm dog waits at the garden gate, ready to escort me up to the alley so I can head on up to the dairy barn, where the dairy goats are waiting and calling plaintively. Currently, we just have four dairy goats in milk. Callie, an American alpine, and the three triplet sisters named after the Norse fates, Erd, Skuld, and Verdandi. These sisters are Nubian alpine crosses, but look like pure alpines. Their ears are small and tend to stick out sideways. Airplane is the proper term. They're not long and droopy-eared like their dad. The four goat girls have a definite ranking or pecking order between them, and it's constantly under discussion. Generally, though, Verdandi is the leader, or should I say, the biggest bully. Erd and Skuld swap second and third place, and poor Callie, the youngest and outsider, is generally at the bottom of the pecking order. Callie does have an advantage. She's probably the smartest of the bunch. A few years ago, I contacted a local goat dairy and cheesemaker to get on their waiting list for dolings. Leslie milked several dozen goats, and I told her I would like a set of twin sisters who were at least half alpine. Wouldn't you know, an alpine doe had triplet dolings, and as Leslie texted, it would be such a shame to break up the set. I agreed, and we bought all three. Since we had Spanish goats who were horned, I'd asked Leslie not to disbud the girls. They could keep their horns. Most dairy goats are disbudded before they're a week old. An electric tool, much like a soldering iron, is heated up and applied to the horn buds on the top of the kid's head. 
The tip is a hollow cylinder and it just about gets red hot. Press the tip to the top of the kid's head and hold and a ring is burned into the hide. If done properly, the entire horn bud will lift off. I do use a bit of lidocaine to help numb the area and thankfully it's a quick procedure. The triplets came to the farm and grew into a nice set of goats. Their pointy alpine horns, however, proved to be a bit of a problem, and being younger and stronger, they were able to beat up on Old Buttercup and Bonehead, my two elderly dairy goats who didn't have horns. Worried about the potential for damage to an udder, we took the triplets down to the vet who sawed off their horns, leaving a three to four inch stump. The stump cut was above the live horn core, so no blood was shed. Pointy ends removed, the dairy girls were duly chastised. Goats either have to all be horned or none can have horns. And of course, we'd also picked up Callie, who is a year younger than the Norn triplets. She came from a farm that disbuds their kids, and her being hornless and her younger age put her firmly at the bottom of the pack. These four dairy goats were bred last fall to Grady, a registered French alpine buck. His full and proper name is Bright and Beautiful Grad School. In February, they had their kids, but unfortunately, Callie went into labor first a good week or two early, and her kids were dead. I think one of the other goats must have head-butted her in the belly, damaging the placenta, but who knows for sure. When Callie delivered her twins, she had a full udder, and not wanting to waste anything, I'd begun to milk her. A few days later, Erd had triplets as Callie and I watched. When I realized triplets were coming, I pulled the second kid aside and gave him to Callie, who immediately began to clean him off. That was a good girl. I'd saved the colostrum from Callie, that high antibody milk from the first three days of lactation, and after all three kids were born and toweled off, it was February and cold, I thawed out some of that colostrum and bottle-fed Callie's buckling. As long as he got in two good feedings of colostrum, he would manage fine on Callie's milk, and she was more than willing to oblige. Callie was happy. She had her own kid. The other two Norns each had twins, which was perfect. Triplets will pretty much produce a runt as there are only two teats for the three kids to fight over. The kids are older now and have been weaned. The dairy goats get milked once a day and I've been making skier, cheese, and butter. In the mornings, they're waiting for me up at the dairy barn. Verdandi, Miss Bossy Boss, expects to go first. The lineup is Verdandi, Erd, Skuld, and Callie. I enter the barn through the side people door, and the goats are waiting inside, next to the gate by the milking area. The milking stand is in a fenced-off space, separated from the goats' living area. Callie has learned to hang outside by the people door, and she can sneak in first. Verdandi has not figured this out. 
When a goat comes into the milking area, she jumps up on the wooden milking stand and I close the stanchion around her neck. A pan of feed is given to the goat and I'll sit behind on an overturned five-gallon bucket. The milking machine is in a box blind hog made and attached to the wall. Suction tubing runs from it to a Y-fitting and these split lines attach to the milk collection bottles. Teat adapters screw onto the bottles and there you go. The udder is washed, teats cleaned, and a bit of milk squirted out, and the milking bottles suck right up on the full teats. The udder will become deflated and it's like watching a balloon slowly lose air. A little bit of massage gets the last of the cream out. Up in what I consider the goat version of the Tale of Spence. The bottles come off and are emptied into a stainless steel milk tote. Literally, wash, rinse, and repeat. I can get all four goats milked and be back to the house in 30 minutes. The goats enjoy their tree to feed in alfalfa hay and will stand patiently as they are milked. If it's hot, a box fan will blow on us and also helps to keep the pesky flies from bothering. After milking, the goats go out through the people door and on to the field. Another goat will be waiting inside, in and out, in and out. The next, it's time to process the milk. The first thing I have to do is filter it. The milk gets poured through a funnel with a large filter, kind of like a coffee filter. Then it's either chilled in an ice bath to use tomorrow or heated up to make something with it today. I need two gallons of milk to make either a batch of skier or a cheese, and the girls have been putting out about five quarts total each morning. Skier is much like yogurt, but with a difference. You know how you can make yogurt by warming up milk, stirring in a bit of plain yogurt with active cultures, putting the mixture in sterilized jars and holding it warm to a certain temperature and the milk will set overnight and then you have plain yogurt? Yeah? Well, skier or Icelandic yogurt is similar but it's got the addition of rennet, the enzyme that makes milk form curds for cheese. Milk gets heated to 185 Fahrenheit and held there for 20 minutes, which also pasteurizes it. This high heat alters the proteins and makes for a nice, smooth, final product. Once the high heat has been reached and held, the milk is allowed to cool on its own to about 85 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It must cool slowly for the best consistency. Rushing is not tolerated. Once the milk is down to 85 to 90 degrees, I can stir in my starter culture and add five drops of double-strength rennet. After about four hours, the two-gallon batch is firmed up and I'll cut twice in one direction and twice at 90 degrees, making nine large sections. Into the fridge overnight, and the next morning I can pour the whole mass into a large cheese bag and hang it over the sink, letting it drip. This gives it the Greek yogurt texture. If I'm making a cheese, I'll pasteurize two gallons of milk, heating it up to 145 degrees, and then holding that for 30 minutes. Then I get to chill the milk rapidly down to whatever starting temperature that's called for in my cheese recipe. 
If I'm just holding the milk to use it another day, I'll put it in an ice bath to cool right after filtering, no pasteurization, and then put it in the fridge. Taking the milk out of the ice bath one-handed is where my troubles began. I didn't lift up high enough and the bottom of the jar clipped the top of the sink, jerking the jar right out of my hand. It did a flip, hit the wood floor, popping a hole in the glass. The milk splashed impressively on me, the counter, the floor, and the cabinets. What do we do with all that skier besides eating it right away? Well, skier freezes beautifully. We put it in quart containers and into the chest freezer it goes. Last time we counted, I think Blind Hog said we had 81 quarts. And at two quarts a week, that's about how much we will need to carry us through when I'm not milking every day. We pretty much have skier for breakfast every day. With the skier stores complete, I can start to add mozzarella and cheddar to the supply. I also have a cream separator. This little countertop wonder has a big holding bowl for milk on the top. Underneath, ten cone-shaped discs are contained in a closed unit, and as this unit spins, milk is drained into the center flowing through the discs. Whoever figured out that this is a way to separate fatty cream from milk is a genius. Milk comes out of the bottom spout and cream comes out of the top spout. It is just that easy. Fun fact, for optimal separation, the milk needs to be at the body temperature of a goat, between 101 and 103 degrees Fahrenheit. I can use cream for recipes or later to churn into butter. I'll use the KitchenAid mixer with the whisk attachment for that. And the skimmed milk is also fine to make skier. Hey listeners, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Have you told your friends about it? Give us a hand and help spread the word about the podcast. Besides sharing all of Acorn's fun facts with your friends, you can tell them to check out our website, www.blindhogandacorn.com, to see pictures and get more information for each episode. You'll be glad you did, and so will we. Due to the myriad of food laws in Missouri, I cannot legally sell my skier, butter, or cheese. We are not a licensed and inspected dairy. Oh, sure, we could drop fifteen, twenty thousand and set us up a nice dairy, cheese make room, and all the fixins, but that would take years of skier making before I even saw a positive return on that investment. Another fun fact people can come to the farm and buy raw goat milk from me totally legal. I'm not allowed to do anything other than filter and chill the milk. I'm not allowed to deliver the goat milk or sell it at any farmer's market. The buyer must come to me. I sell a bit of honey at a local farm store and last fall had the bright idea to make baked dog treats for them to sell too. I made up the recipe with three flavors, all gluten, egg, and dairy-free. 
Sam got to be the taste tester and thought they were pretty good. Come to find out, it was illegal. Oh, I can bake bread and cookies and sell them to anyone, everywhere, but heaven forbid you bake dog treats. These fall under the auspices of the Missouri Livestock Feed Laws, and in order to do things above board, my kitchen would have to be inspected, the recipes and product analyzed in a lab, and fees and licenses would have to be paid. Bake all the sourdough bread you want, just don't bake the dog treats. I wonder who in the state legislature has or had interest in the lab testing or running a feed mill business. If I was to sell the dog treats out of state, I could also have to have each state analyze my doggy crackers and pay all their licenses and fees. Nope. A few years ago, we even tried selling cuts of beef and goat directly from the farm to the consumer. I'd got a business license and tax ID from the state, and we had a steer and a couple goats butchered, even had them USDA inspected. That allows the cuts of meat to be sold retail. When I called our county's health department to find out about any other health regulations, you know, like freezer requirements or temperature logs, things like that, I was told there were none. The guy, however, did think that the temperature log was a good idea. Unfortunately, we just lived too far off the beaten path. People would come down our road and get nervous. It was like they were hearing banjos or something. We didn't sell that much meat and decided after a year it wasn't worth it. Another failed farm business venture was my big idea of buying a portable ultrasound unit and doing preg checks on other people's goats, sheeps, and cattle. With my midwifery background, it seemed like a great idea. Problem is, that is considered complementary veterinary medicine, and I would thus be practicing veterinary medicine without a license. A Class A misdemeanor? Eh, no thank you. The salesperson for the ultrasound unit said that she had heard of people like me buying the unit, but showing clients how to use it, letting them do the ultrasounds on their own animals. I thought this was splitting hairs. No, if I did it for any compensation, I would be breaking the law. And yeah, you can buy the unit and ultrasound your own animals to your heart's content. Oh well, never mind. In the meantime, the goat kids are gaining weight. A buyer will be returning for a few Spanish dolings, maybe as early as next week. We'll need to run the other goat kids through the squeeze chute and scale and weigh them, looking for that 55 to 60 pound market sweet spot for the weathers. The garden is cranking out the summer squash and zucchini. I dehydrated some sliced yellow squash overnight, filling two pint jars with dried squash chips. Eight trays in the dehydrator, yielding just two pint jars. Squash chips, though, are very good when you want something crunchy to nibble on, and they're practically calorie-free. Bonus. 
A ton of zucchini got shredded, weighed it, and put 500 grams in each quart Ziploc and froze. Five kilos of zucchini for future baking and salsa making. Again, I had a few zucchini hide on me till they were so big they could hide no more. The kimchi made from the tops of the Brussels sprouts came out great. It's lovely to look at and has a nice crunchy texture. I had a bit of liquid left over after I repacked the kimchi in smaller jars and definitely saved it. I had read that it's a great addition to your ramen bowl, rice, or even in salad dressing. Three cabbage heads are soon going to be shredded for sauerkraut. We just love sauerkraut. And like the kimchi, lacto-fermentation is the way to go. Today I strained the elderflower syrup. I actually left it steeping in the fridge for a whole week, not just three days. Heated it up to boiling and let it bubble for 10 minutes and filled five quart jars, processing them in the water bath to seal. I've got enough elderflower infused simple syrup to keep me going for a long time. You can see pictures of the final product on the website. Blackberries are ripening. I picked two quarts yesterday and made a cobbler today. We're going to need all the energy we get, because soon we're going to be installing gutters. We went to the big city and bought gutters for the dairy barn and for the screen porch here at the house. The building supply, however, was short of a few crucial pieces, and we'll have to delay putting up the dairy barn gutters for now. But we can install the one on the porch. It's only 20 feet long. Should be straightforward. Blind Hog says we can probably do it tomorrow morning. The thermometer in the garden is reading 99.9 degrees Fahrenheit. Blind Hog is outside now cutting up the six, seven-foot sections of the dead trees he felled into wood stove-sized lengths that he can eventually split. Under the roof of the carport, with a box fan, he is out of the sun at least. I did my garden chores a bit earlier, and it was still hot. Goats and cows are nowhere to be seen. I bet they're all hanging out in the shade with the cows in the pond. I looked on the radar, and a blob is headed southeast to us, down from Kansas City. A few puffy clouds are going by right now, but nothing terribly threatening. The other day, we saw the same thing on the radar, and like Moses and the Red Sea, the clouds parted just before reaching us and then closed again after they'd gone by. A bit of rain would be nice. I heard the zucchini would like to triple their size tonight. I think the purple martin chicks have fledged and are trying out their wings. The martins are happily chirping away and the number of birds has at least doubled. They're flying big loops up in the sky and then they land on the power line or on the gourds or the birdhouse apartments. From the chittering, it sounds like they're all so proud of themselves. The batch of skier I started this morning has finally cooled down enough for me to add the starter culture, a couple tablespoons from my last batch of skier, and the rennet, all five drops of it. 
I have some new cheese-making cultures arriving in the mail on Monday. I'm looking forward to trying that. I would love to have a good pepper jack cheese to add to the pantry. Last year, I tried making Swiss cheese. I wouldn't call it a total failure, but the cheese was not rubbery. It was like it was too dry. Perhaps with the new cultures, it'll be better. But time will tell. And speaking of that, it's time I say goodbye until next time. This is the Acorn wishing you a great week. Take care. Take care.